0: Salutations and hello to all of my unlucky lounge rats out in that radio wave space. It's wonderful to have you joining us here for another episode of Draft and Draft. My name is Corey, your limited lore master and denizen of this here fine local establishment between your planes walking. And of course, as always, I am joined by the best in the business. He is better than a Balagad bear. He is stronger than just a two-two-for-two. His name is Borak Borak. We get to go into the nostalgic past of Magic's limited lore in something I like to call Draft Hall of Fame. Are you excited or what? Yes, I do believe the word amped would Accurately describe today's topic, but before we get into it, a little bit of housekeeping. First off, this podcast is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. Check them out at believe.com, spelled B L E A V, or wherever you download your podcasting fun. Great range of topics from sports, entertainment, lifestyle, and everything in between. Also, get in contact with us at social media. My name is Corey Demone Enriquez on Instagram, or you can find us at Twitter under Draft and Draft Corey. We're creating a community here in the Unlucky Lounge, and I hope to have all of you join in the conversation, engage in what is the best format in all of Magic: The Gathering, and that is draft, limited, sealed, and everything in between. And of course, these podcasts are brought to you by all of our supporters on our Patreon. Visit us at Patreon.com. podcast draft and draft an mtg podcast if you're getting anything out of this podcast some fun moments and you feel like contributing we'd love to have you join that community we're going to post exclusive images get your name on this podcast but most importantly we just want you to tune in and have fun subscribe rate us five stars if you get any amount of fun i just want to hear from you Well, that's enough of the housekeeping. The Sorcerer's Broom is put back into the Conjurer's Closet. And now, to today's topic at hand. I'm sure the big, flashy title of this podcast probably created a little bit of a ponderance for all of you out there. Draft Hall of Fame. What exactly is that? Well, we're going to tell you all about it here on this episode of Draft and Draft. But before we get into it, we have to keep our traditions in place. So if you are not traveling about the plains or maybe just on this planet of Earth, I want you to sit back, relax, find yourself a drink right now. Don't worry, I'll wait for you. Great then let's go ahead and cheers to the start of a new episode in a new week. This is a tradition that we like to call the untapped step. Ah, what's this, Cranberry Road Cider? A particularly flavorful yet interesting choice, Boronk. I suppose you're right. The whole road motif is very appropriate for today's episode. We're gonna talk about the Draft Hall of Fame. But what exactly is it? Let's get some context first. We're gonna take you into the Wayback Machine all the way to the year 2009. This year in culture, big things were happening. We were ending the audis, but we we're ending it with a bang. The big film, Avatar, came out, becoming the highest-grossing film of all time. The Hangover Trilogy starts this year. District 9, one of my favorite films coming out of the oddies. Uh, Black Eyed Peas, they're alive and, well... Empire State of Mind, my favorite song coming out of the Audis, hits the airwaves towards the end of the decade, and in the world of Magic the Gathering, we had the Alara block, with Shards of Alara just having come out a few months earlier, the start of the mythic rarity, Planeswalkers, were starting to become a very real thing, conflict was on the horizon, and this is where our story takes us today. It was a lazy Wednesday, we were in the middle of doing a local game store draft, all sitting around in between rounds and kind of bored. And if you're like me and you're waiting for your next opponent to be posted, you kind of let your mind wander. And this was before the real rise of the smartphones, we had them, I personally didn't quite have one yet at the moment, but I had my DS, I just didn't want to pull it out, so instead I. Went to my friend, and we exchanged our binders, doing a little casual page-through, seeing what kind of things might be in the binders to lead down a road of perhaps a trade. But this would be a relatively innocuous day that would lead us down a journey that we continued for quite some time. You see, there was nothing really to trade for. My binders never were ever flush with great resources to try and spread throughout the local game store. However, it did have quite a number of memories and memories that I was very happy to draw onto with one of my more recent friends I had just made, friend of the show and previous appearance, Jason. Him and I, we were just looking through our binders. When suddenly we came across a card that for some reason I had in there. It was a foil common, completely untradeable, but yet, We paused and smiled and reminisced about this card. How critically important it was in that set might be the most important common in the entire block, but why was it in the binder? It had no reason to be there. It had maybe 10 cents worth of value underneath it, but I couldn't see it get lost in the shuffle of many boxes left somewhere in my college level dorm room I wanted to keep it on hand. It was sentimental to me. It meant something to me. And from that, me and Jason, we talked for quite some time about this card. You might be wondering, what exactly is this card in question? Well this was a little ditty all the way back from the Shadowmore era known as Silkbine Fairy. It is two colas and a hybrid blue-white for a 1-3 flyer. Now, this is a unique creature in the history of magic. It comes from the Shadowmoor block with a very special untap ability. Its text box says pay one and either a blue or white to untap it to tap target creature. Now me and Jason sat down and we regaled about this card, about how not only did it just so clearly articulate what the format was about with the introduction of hybrid mana in a different kind of universe than what Ravnica brought to us a few years earlier. But it also brought us that crazy untapped symbol. Something we thought we wouldn't see again for a very long time. Something that was so unique to the flavor of Shadowmoor, the world changing on its head. It was a great card from both a top-down design, a play design, and just overall a whole lot of fun. Now I walked away from this casual conversation more struck than I thought I would be. The memory of this card, the reason why it was in my binder in the first place, this deep dive into why this card that, well, in all, honesty, probably shouldn't deserve a second thought. But it was enough for me to figure out what do I do with these lingering emotions. And so I came up with an idea. And this idea stays with me to this moment. The reason why this podcast exists. Draft and draft... Is my attempt to try to make the individual events feel more relevant be this your random Monday Tuesday or Wednesday night draft Friday night magic a pre-release or even your house draft there's got to be something more to it there's got to be more stakes involved something to make your daily events feel more like a memory and so with that in mind I would like to share with all of you unlucky lounge rats exactly what the Draft Hall of Fame is. The Draft Hall of Fame is a series of individual cards that qualify after you go undefeated with any given limited deck. When I mean undefeated, you can lose a game, but the round itself you will have had to have won. Now at the end of the draft, if you go undefeated, you get to take one qualifying card from your draft deck or sealed pool and enter it into your draft hall of fame. But what kinds of cards can enter into your draft hall of fame? Well, there's a couple qualifiers. First off, it has to be a card that was played throughout the duration of the draft. Maybe it was only cast once in one game, or maybe you've played it every single time. That doesn't matter, but the card has to have been cast. So from the hand, from the library, could be a permanent, could be a spell, could even be a non-basic land. But the card itself has to have been played at some point in the game. If it's a card that was in the sideboard and came in, that can qualify if it was a card that was in the deck, but never got cast, unfortunately, that would not qualify. You actually have to have had some kind of tangible experience with the card. What other qualifiers is a card require to have in order to make the Draft Hall of Fame? Well, there's two very important factors. First off, the card itself, it has to be a premium card. In layman terms, it has to be a foil card. This was one of those kind of hotly debated kind of qualifiers. But we wanted to make sure that there was just a little bit more stakes and a little bit more variance into each draft. So sometimes you get to qualify something for a draft Hall of Fame. Other times, you do not. But it has to be a premium card. If there's some kind of variant in the game, for example, a different type of printing, like, say, one of the new Constellation uh, Demigods in Theros Beyond Death, That might require some discussion, but you could probably qualify that into your Draft Hall of Fame. But it has to be some kind of variant. A foil? Absolutely great. Some kind of promo that was maybe in something? All the merrier. But that is one requirement of your card. The second really important qualifier, it cannot be a rare card or a method. The reason we've established this rule is, in general, we found that rares tend to take over a game and don't really say much about the limited format itself but instead maybe about the power level of that individual card. Also, there could be a little bit of a feel bad. Say you draft a foil rare and then ends up in the Draft Hall of Fame. Typically we keep those cards in the Draft Hall of Fame and we don't pull them out. I have cards here that have been in my Draft Hall of Fame for over a decade now. That being said, rares, we want to keep them out just to make sure it's more about the draft portion than the power level of the cards themselves. Another side note for clarity that was helpful for our group is that it doesn't matter the type or kind or format of draft just so long as you actually go undefeated with the deck. This includes different types of draft formats. Sealed, Draft, uh, Rochester, Winchester, any of those kinds, totally fine. One little exception, Cube Draft. I'm fairly confident the owner of the cube probably doesn't want you to take one of their cards and put it into your Draft Hall of Fame also includes formats so when Draft Hall of Fame first existed there weren't supplemental products like Conspiracy or like Battlebond also when you get to double Draft Hall of Fame with a Battlebond friend that's some pretty sweet sauce right there hashtag bring back Battlebond to I want some more of those commander lands folks alright I'm off my soapbox back to draft hall of fame so it doesn't matter the type of card you're drafting be it a supplemental product a main product a core set or even a chaos draft any of those cards can potentially qualify you one last rule that's also worth some clarity for qualifying a card into draft hall of fame and that is with the different types and kinds of tournament structures that could be involved Clearly there are larger scale events like say a PTQ or a GP versus your Friday Night Magic event. However, irregardless of the number of rounds that a particular draft has, well, you gotta go undefeated with it. Let's say you go X and 1 in a GP and you make day 2, sorry, cannot qualify a card into your Draft Hall of Fame, to me this increases the integrity and gives all the cards the same story of, man, I went undefeated while playing this deck. That's a good universal rule, keeping the whole thing on the same page. Certainly, not all cards are on the same page, both physically and metaphorically, but I do want to make sure that we see that all of these cards do have that same universal value of being in an undefeated deck. So we talked about the Draft Hall of Fame, how to put cards in it, but why? do we do Draft Hall of Fame in the first place? Well, it goes back to kind of how I started this before. It gives each draft just a little bit more stakes without increasing or making people pay more for those drafts. I love the sense of being on your toes, playing for that honor of adding another card into your Draft Hall of Fame. Also, sometimes when you get into those deep formats, you've got that pet card, the one card that you love more than anything, you want to put that in your draft hall of fame it helps you create that narrative that legacy with yourself to say i remember that card i love that card i think that card was not evaluated properly i had more love for it than other people create that individual story with you and the card and when it gets in that draft hall of fame you just feel all the more sweetened also another really great reason for the draft hall of fame to exist is the truth that it's a great conversation starter. You've got a couple people at your local game store. Everyone's doing this together. You run back into them after a few days and you ask, what did you get in your draft hall of fame? New story creates a whole new narrative for a draft and you're off to the races. I've in fact brought this concept to some new local game stores that I've never been in before. That was a really great way to just kind of get a conversation flowing. You can have people come back up to you later on, and boom. Instant conversation maker. And when we have to work, you know, 50, 60 hours a week, because let's be honest, there's no such thing as the 40-hour work week anymore for most people, it's pretty convenient when you have something that easily starts up a conversation without much effort. Well, that in a nutshell is the Draft Hall of Fame. Now, let it be known, these are the rules that me and my friends came up with, and we found a lot of success with it, but whoever you draft with, be it your house draft friends, or the people you constantly meet up with at your local game store, you can start this up in whatever way that you would like to. What's most important is finding a way to turn these random drafts into a greater personal narrative, something for you to walk away with and remember. Well, all my unlucky lounge rats, that's the Draft Hall of Fame, the rules, the regulations, how you can get your very own set of iconic draft cards going into a collection of memories. But before we get into some of my individual cards that have made it into my very own personal Draft Hall of Fame, first, Borak. We got to talk about the professionals at (laughs) BetterHelp.com. Yeah, I know, this is a game of having fun and being casual, but it can sometimes get in the way of our very own happiness. Think about when you take a tough loss, it can be hard to deal with those things. So don't let Match the Gathering or anything else in your life get in the way of your personal happiness. This, folks, is your call to action, your call to arms, if I may refer to a magic card itself. Please visit betterhelp.com backslash believe, B-L-E-A-V, and that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over 700,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer as well to all my unlucky lounge rats, 10% off your first month if you visit them at betterhelp.com backslash believe. So go online, get help today. It's like an upkeep step for your mental health. Couldn't have said it better myself, Borak. And we are back, all of my unlucky lounge rats, and we're gonna go ahead and delve even more into the draft hall of fame. The first half. We talked all about it, the rules, regulations, and how you might be able to make your very own Draft Hall of Fame with your local game store crew. But now, I'm going to open up my binder, dust off a few of these cards, and go back into Magic's history and highlight some of the biggest commons and uncommons that we may have well forgotten about if not were for such a practice like this Draft Hall of Fame or as I like to call it, the D.H.O.F. Well, yes, Borak, I did come up with that acronym all myself. Draft Hall of Fame? I mean, come on, doesn't it just roll off the tongue? And aren't I just so clever? Yeah, sorry, Borak. I'm just being a little silly, a little extra. But neither here nor there. Let's get to the Draft Hall of Fame. As I mentioned before... Silkbind Fairy was the card that kind of kicked off the whole bang so we kind of grandfathered it in and it became the first pseudo card to make it into my Draft Hall of Fame. But after the Silkbind Fairy, the other card that kind of got us to start up this Draft Hall of Fame was a little number from Shards of Alara, we still talk about it. It's Sprowny Thrinax. It's a 3-3 for black, red, green. Creature Lizard, when it dies, you put three 1-1 one one green Sapling creature tokens into play. See, I love that Sprowning Thrinax is actually the first official card in my draft hall of fame, because it so excellently highlights this whole exercise in the first place. Because this was a draft that, in most cases... I would love to forget. A draft that was way worth letting it go in the back recesses of my mind to be lost in the long-term memory. Because this draft is perhaps the worst type of draft that you could ever encounter when you go to your local game store. What is that? I'll let you think about it for a sec. Time's up. What kind of draft experience do I think is the worst one you could have at your local game store? Well, if you guessed, say it with me. It is the infamous 11-man draft. Oh, brother, who loves an 11-man draft? Is the answer actually nobody? If that is true, then you are correct. The 11-Man Draft is that awkward number where you can't split up into two pools of six, as a six and a five just doesn't work. And of course, with the 11-Man Draft, you can wish any hopes of tabling anything right out the window. Bye-bye, reading signals. Bye-bye, trying to find what comes back around. You're just gonna get what you are going to get. And for my lucky lounge rats, remembers Shards of Alara as being that first big three color block, being able to read your signals and figure out which of the five shards you would end up in is so very important. Most particularly because you really need to hone in to find your fixing. We had the tapped tri-lands and we had the panoramas and of course we had the obelisks, the manolith variants. But in all truth, it was hard to find your fixing. Your best strategy ended up being mainly in two color and then splashing for a third one to find your shard, but you really only have a finite number of choices that you could splash in. Or, of course, you could go with the -the off-the-wall, five-color, draft anything that's good, and hopefully shamble some bit of random fixing around to make the deck into a deck. But what about this draft in particular, this dreaded 11 man, where you just gotta cross your fingers, clench your butt cheeks, and just pray to any of the magic gods that you just might be able to put together a coherent 23 cards? Well, this is where I learned the important lesson of reading your room. And trying to figure out what might be the best possible configuration for the cards that you're going to draft. Because you see, in that 11 man draft, by some crazy stretch of the multiverse, that sprouting Thrinax that I opened in Pick One, Pack One that I had to pass on for a bomb rare, friends, that card tabled through in the 11 man draft. Not only was this a particularly impossible and memorable moment, considering that Sprouting Thrune as a creature, very strong, very efficient, very high value, but it was this distinct moment where I remembered that even if you're looking at a particularly powerful card, some kind of uncommon signpost, something that you would potentially first pick out of a pack, you can table it. If no one else is in those particular colors, don't always feel like you need to take the strongest card for your build when you have a lot of pieces you have to build into the deck. One of those things being, for example, in Shards of Alara, your mana base, your color fixing. That can be so much more important than just having the strongest cards in the world that you literally just can't play because your lands don't line up well. It was a lesson that I learned, that I felt was a good one to always take away from, and tabling a signpost uncommon in a 11-man draft pool, man, I don't think I'll ever forget that craziness, and I don't think that kind of craziness will ever happen again. You know, Borok, I'm not exactly sure which bear is the best bear in my draft hall of fame. Well, I did get Room Claw Bear in once, and I also got the Gastoff Shepherd, the Inistrad Transform Werewolf Bear that I talked about in a previous episode. For my recent unlucky Lounge Rats out there, go and check out the last episode that I talked about it in. Uh, that was the Inistrad versus Eldraine Showdown episode. Check that one out and see if you agree with my opinions on that. But the bear that I did most recently put in the Draft Hall of Fame was actually one from Throne of Eldraine. I put in seven dwarfs. Now I know what you're thinking out there, it's not really a bear, especially when you start to get the other parts of the dwarf group together. As a quick reminder for all my unlucky lounge rats out there, Seven Dwarfs is a 2-2 two, two for one in a red, and the card says a deck can have up to seven cards named Seven Dwarfs, and Seven Dwarfs gets plus one plus one for each other creature named Seven Dwarfs you control. I really enjoyed drafting this card, which I did multiple times. Not only does it go in multiple different color-paired decks, you could be in Red Adamant, you could be in the Green-Red Non-Humans deck, or you could even be playing some Red-White aggressive type deck. But what this card really meant to me in the drafting of it is the fact that you don't necessarily need to play this card if you have a lot of Seven Dwarfs. It's still a role player, and all you really need is three, maybe four, seven dwarfs before they all subsequently get really a lot stronger and should move up higher in your pick order. That's a cool magic card to me, when the card itself, the way it's designed, changes in the way that you take it in the draft. Just think about if you go turn one seven dwarfs, turn two seven dwarfs, all of a sudden, you've got two three threes on curve, still leaving yourself open one mana for a trick? That's some real stone-cold efficiency. Borak. I know it's not a bear, I know it's a dwarf, but you gotta get behind the seven dwarfs, am I right, buddy? I mean, I get it, it's not a bear, it's a dwarf, but it's a two-two-for-two. Two You know what? We'll debate the better nature of what a bear actually is later on. Now I have one more card that I want to talk about that I made into my draft Hall of Fame. But it's going to be a bit of a lead-in for next week's episode. As next week's episode is something that I like to call the Day the Swamp Dried Out. Well, that's your first clue. Your second clue for what this card is, well... This card is what is considered the beginning of the era of the mythic uncommon. The uncommon card that in its limited format is an absolute bomb, a must not pass, something that is arguably stronger than maybe every single rare in the set while playing in a limited environment. And my final clue for all of you is that this card has no less than three separate keyword mechanics. What card is it? Well, maybe you can find out. And if you think you know, I want you to tweet at me, Draft and Draft Corey, and you can tell me what you think this card is that's leading into next week's story time episode. Also You can go to our Patreon. I'm going to post some photos of my very own Draft Hall of Fame. And if you have some stories you want to see from these individual limited cards, then I want you to send me a message. And just maybe when we go back to our Draft Hall of Fame episodes, I can talk about some of these cards, give you the great stories behind them, and make sure that we can really raise up these wonderful drafts and make them more than a random thing and into stories that stay with us for a long time. But that brings us to the end of our episode. Once more, this podcast is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. Check out their shows wherever you download your podcasts or at believe.com. And join us on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Draft, and Draft Corey or on my Patreon. That is Draft and Draft, an MTG podcast. Just post some things. I want you to get in the conversation and we'll have ourselves a magically good time. That pun is totally intended. Well, it looks like I have found the bottom of my bottle, and so we've reached the end of our episode. So until next time, go out there and make some magical memories of your own. Hit up your local game store, enjoy your Friday night magic, and we'll see you back here next week in the Unlucky Lounge for another episode of Draft and Draft. Thanks for joining us, everyone.